welcome to another episode of Fully Scored. I'm your host, Matthew Frost. Greetings to all new listeners and all old-time listeners too. Hope you're keeping well. As usual, we have an exciting podcast lineup for you today. Later in the podcast, we'll be welcoming back a familiar face to Fully Scored, the current head of music editorial, Andrew Blythe, and he's going to be speaking about the selection in Wonder Beholding by Leslie Condon. But first, it gives me great pleasure to welcome our interviewee slash victim for today, and that is the New York staff bandmaster, Derek Lance. It was great speaking to Derek. We talked a lot about his faith and the interplay with his music making, a bit about his time growing up and learning to play the trumpet, and where he went on to study at Juilliard and Curtis Schools of Music. We also spoke a bit about his role as the Territorial Music Secretary on the East Coast of America and about the different roles and responsibilities he holds there, including leading the Future All-Stars and Starlake Music Camps. And of course we talked about his time holding the baton at the New York Staff Band. Anyway, I think that's enough for this preamble. Without further ado, let's jump on our virtual jet to New York and it gives me great pleasure to welcome Derek Lance to Fully Schooled. Well, thank you ever so much, Derek, for joining us on Fully Scored. It's fantastic to have you here. Uh, thank you for joining us. Well, it's great to be here, Matthew. Now, usually for my first question, I'd ask something like where you grew up or what your earliest memories of the Salvation Army are. But I'm going to spice things up a little bit this evening and come back to those questions later. My first question for you is quite a broad one. What drives you to do your best for Jesus? Well, it's, it's interesting that you would start with that question. Um, we had staff band rehearsal just a few days ago. And uh, during rehearsal, you know, like every week, we have uh, have devotions. And on this particular day, uh, one of our cornet players was telling a story about uh, one of his, his friends, a Salvationist, um, who had just been commissioned as a Salvation Army officer. So he's in his, his new appointment, and he's, he's still practicing all the time because he's a very fine player, and he plays in a local you know, town orchestra or or whatever it might be. And you know, one of his soldiers, um, and I'm, I'm sure I'm paraphrasing and, and butchering this, but um, you know, just ask like, you know, why, why are you still practicing? Why are you still doing all that stuff? You're a Salvation Army officer. Don't you have more important things to worry about? Um, and his response uh, was, was great to hear. And it said um, that any gift from God should be cultivated and developed so that you can be as good as possible at sharing that gift. And I figure that's, that's a pretty good place to start, right? Um, you want to share the best that you have uh, for the Lord and and to others. Um, and the other thing I would I would say that you know my life um, is definitely better and my walk with the Lord is definitely better um, because of my interactions through music. And I I want to create as many of those opportunities for others uh, as possible, right? So when I think about you know my job and my responsibilities. Um, I really want to create as many, many possible scenarios for, for people to have an experience and encounter uh, with the Lord. Um, and the last thing I would just say, I guess, on a more personal, personal note, is that I really only know one gear uh, in life, and that's kind of to go all out for everything that I do and to be fully committed to whatever it is that, uh, that I am doing at that moment. Wise words indeed, and we'll come back to talking a bit about your life and your walk with the Lord uh, later in this interview. But first of all, you're coming all the way via Zoom uh, from New York, and I wanted to ask, what's the best thing about living in New York? Um, it's uh, well, this will sound like a very uh, arrogant uh, New Yorker answer, I think, uh, which I don't really uh, qualify myself as that. 
but um, I think you can really find the best of anything in the world in New York, right? So if you're looking for the best food, uh, you know, it's here, you can find it, whatever your favorite food is. Um, if you're looking for the best, you know, art or museums, you can find it here, the best orchestras in the world, you, know, you can find it here, the best universities, the best skyline, um, the most sports teams, I wouldn't say the best sports teams, but the most sports teams, uh, you can find it here, um, and really the most diverse experiences, you can find those here. Um, and I think uh, that, you know, being surrounded by so many great things rubs off on uh, both the people and the organizations and everything that's around. Um, and I'd say there's there's really a collective desire around here to to achieve and to be great. Um, it's full of passionate people, you know, kind of working fast all the time. And I absolutely love it. So going back a little bit now into your past, uh, I believe your parents were Salvation Army officers. Uh, so as a young person, I'm sure you have moved around all around the place quite a lot. What sort of impact did that have on your life growing up? Well, the first thing I would say is that, you know, I didn't really know that life should be any other way, right? Um, I was born just after my parents were commissioned, um, and that was my entire childhood growing up until I went off to university. Now, um, in terms of being an officer's kid, um, it certainly has impacted me greatly because that was, that was my life. Um, and the first thing I would say is that um, my parents were very hard workers, uh, and we pretty much lived at either the core or camp or whatever their appointment was. Um, and I really, you know, I'd say it really, you know, kind of showed me what, you know, what hard work was, um, and then just kind of being dedicated uh, to everything uh, that they that they had to do, whether it be at the core or at camp or whatever, uh, they were always there, they were always working, uh, there wasn't really excuses ever made for not, you know, getting things done or anything like that. So I think that's, that's one element of uh, just kind of being an officer's kid uh, that that rubbed off on me. Um, I'd say in terms of, you know, the moving around uh, aspect, I would say that it certainly helped in terms of being comfortable in new surroundings, you know, uh, quickly and being adaptable. Um, and I guess in some ways, this is more of a question of what I learned from my parents, you know, growing up than what I did um, about moving or being an officer's kid. Um, and I'm not really sure I could count it, I'm sure I'm quickly, but, you know, how many times we moved, but I never, ever heard them complain about anything. You know, they would get the call to move, they moved. They got their new appointment and they just worked hard there. You know, they, they signed up for, for being officers and never really walked away from, from that calling, you know, with all of its pluses uh, and minuses. And I suppose that's really the big lesson uh, in seeing something through. Um, the other thing I was uh, thinking about was just probably how it made me be comfortable in my own skin. You're right. Um, you get to a new place, you kind of just have to, you know, kind of be comfortable by yourself for a little bit as you learn and uh, kind of figure out the new surroundings, but I'd say it made me kind of comfortable in who I am. You know, I was never really one to cave to peer pressure, or just go along with the crowd. Um, and uh, that's really kind of stuck with me, um, you know, through through my life. And the last thing I would say is that it made for having a really tight family. Um, you know, I was friends with my parents, you know, I hung out with them on Friday nights, you know, a lot of times and I was best friends with my sister. Um, and uh, I'm sure that's uh, been a great help through through all of life. Fantastic. And what was your first experience in making music in the Salvation Army? I was, I was thinking about this and you know, my, both my parents were musical. So they both played, uh, my dad played tuba, my mom played alto horn. Um, so I was around it, you know, from, from birth, I suppose. 
Um, and people would tell me stories. I don't remember this, but they would tell me stories about you know, me falling asleep in my dad's tuba case during band rehearsals, you know, and I was out too late, you know, with him. I have no idea if that's true, but uh, we'll, we'll go with it right now. Um, but if memory serves me correctly, my first musical experience was at Camp Lador in Pennsylvania. Uh, my parents were just appointed as the divisional youth secretaries, and they got there right before music camp. Um, and I remember going to a drum class, you know, that was kind of my first thing I was handed sticks and, you know, kind of, kind of go for it. But obviously that didn't really, really stick. Um, but shortly after that, I started learning cornet, you know, at my local core. Um, but my first you know, memory I can recall was, you know, heading into like a drum or percussion class at a Salvation Army music camp. So when you picked up that cornet or those drumsticks, did you instantly know that you wanted to be a musician or was that more of a gradual sort of transition? <laughs> I doubt it was instant, right? Uh, at seven, seven or eight years uh, old, but um, I can I can remember. Um, I think it was around seventh grade. You know, just kind of proclaiming that you know I was going to go to Juilliard and play trumpet, and I was going to play trumpet professionally. Did you ever aspire to be in the New York Staff Band? I suppose maybe, but I, I can't really remember that. You know, I had uh, two uncles that played in the band, so I was I was around it uh, some. But when I was in, you know, grades like eight through 12, I guess in my prominent years of development as a, as a player, we live pretty, you know, pretty far away, you know, from the staff band, you know, 10 to 12 hours away. So it really wasn't something that was, you know, part of my, uh, my thinking all the time. Um, and uh, no, so I don't, it wasn't really, I don't think it was really, you know, an aspiration of mine. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it was always kind of there, but um even when I, you know, I started playing in the band, I didn't necessarily think it would be a long-term thing either. I, I suppose I thought it'd be a short stint, you know, kind of playing in the band. And that was, you know, 17, 18 years ago, you know. Funny how these things, uh, the paths sometimes change and uh, go in different directions to expect. And you mentioned earlier that you then you went on to study at the Juilliard School of Music in New York and the Curtis Institute of Music in Philadelphia. What were some of your fondest memories from those times studying? Well, I'd say really those were some of the best times uh, of, of my life. Like I loved, I loved both places. Um, I learned so much from all the students there and the teachers. Um, I guess I should have started with teachers and then students. But um, really one of the things that I loved was, you know, that interaction with the other students all the time where you had these super high level uh, teachers and professionals, but you learned so much from um, the other students that you just interacted with all the time. And I, I absolutely uh, love that. Um, I'd say, you know, going to Curtis where I went uh, first, uh, it was such just an incredible and you know, unique experience. Uh, the school is, it's very, very small. Uh, there's around 150 students total. So there's enough for, you know, an orchestra, um, an opera studio, some pianists, some conductors, and composers, right? So it's a pretty small, you know, community. Everyone knows everyone, and you get to play all the time, you know. So it was, it was just awesome, um, and uh, so so many good memories there. Like I, those are probably for the best years of my life. But one of the really great perks, um, and I had this at both schools, but it's easier for me to talk about uh, in terms of Curtis, um, was that uh, each and every week, you know, whoever was coming into you know, lead the Philadelphia Orchestra would come and conduct us on Saturday mornings, you know, for, for a reading session. So it was really a who's who of, of conductors, uh, you know, each week, you know, so you had, you had Simon Rattle and Charles Dutrois, you know, Wolfgang Scavallis, James Levine, you know, you kind of, you, you know, name a name, they came through and it was just a Saturday morning at Curtis, you know, which was awesome. 
Um, and so some of my best, you know, musical memories, you know, came uh, during that time. We did, you know, Mahler's Fifth Symphony uh, there, you know, Chike Four, you name it. We kind of played it, uh, you know, every week. And I'd say, you know, probably my, I guess it's hard to pinpoint your best musical memory, you know, in a, in a lifetime full of music. But we played uh, Rachmaninoff's Second Symphony with the Curtis Orchestra. And I would still to this day kind of claim it's the best thing I've, I've been a part of uh, in my life. And do you have a favorite composer? Is it Rachmaninoff uh, that you love to perform or, or that and that sort of late romantic stuff? Or do you uh, prefer Baroque piccolo trumpet playing or contemporary music? Um, I, I definitely, I fall in like the, I love the, you know, I love the Mahler symphonies. You know, those are the, probably the most fun to play. Uh, great trumpet parts. You know, I loved, uh, you know, kind of doing Shostakovich things, especially with, you know, Russian conductors. That's always a lot of fun. Um, but uh, just in terms of music, like I absolutely love Brahms. Um, I love listening to it. I love his piano quartets, you know, all those kind of things. And then also uh, I'm a big fan of Beethoven, Beethoven three, especially. So I'm kind of all over the place. Um, but if I had to pinpoint one, I would say it would be uh, Mahler. Typical trumpet player. Yeah. <laughs> well, every trumpet player says the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, so following your graduation, I, I guess the goal of anyone that studies at a music college is to go on and have a career in playing music. And you did. You were awarded the trumpet job at the West Point United States Military Band. Um, what are some of the main differences between making music in a military band as opposed to a Salvation Army band? Yeah, you, the, the interesting thing about that uh, and the reality is they're, they're pretty similar um, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it's obviously you play for different reasons and for different, different callings, but the function of them are, are pretty similar. You know, in the West Point band, we would travel around to small communities and play concerts, you know, same thing the staff band, you know, does, um, we would play at graduations and retirements and funerals, you know, kind of the same thing that, uh, you know, uh, you know, any army band, uh, would do, um, we live within a rank structure, you know, there, uh, at, uh, at West Point, you know, so a lot of those things are, are the same. Um, so, you know, just like the, the West Point band serves the United States military Academy, you know, the staff band serves the USA Eastern territory, right? So there's a lot of similarities, uh, to the whole, whole thing. Um, I'd say, you know, the main difference is obviously, you know, with the staff band or any other salvation band, we all uh, have the same set of beliefs and we exist to honor and glorify God. Um, and there's certainly a higher, a higher calling, um, in that, and we take that very seriously, but, um, they're very similar, and it was kind of the perfect setup for you know, moving into a, a career with the Salvation Army. And now let's, let's talk a bit about your job today. So you're now the Territorial Music Secretary. What are some of the responsibilities that you hold in this role? Well, it's, it's hard to believe I've been there for the Salvation Army around 10 years now. I guess that we're coming up on 10 years. Um, it's hard to believe uh, for me. Um, but I guess I'll, I'll start with kind of the well-known uh, responsibilities that I would have. Um, so the leading the staff band uh, falls into that. Um, I'm responsible for uh, the staff band's future all-stars program that we, that we have every year. We have a summer brass uh, you know, mission program that goes every summer. Um, I'm the director of the Star Lake Music Camp, uh, oversee our Star Search program, our you know, contest that we have uh, every year. Um, our music publications, uh, and then, you know, give ongoing support just to the whole uh, USA Eastern Territory. And then in addition to the staff band, we have two other territorial groups. We have uh, our staff songsters, and then we have our territorial worship band, uh, Unbound. Uh, so oversee all those things. Um, and then in recent, and I say recent, the last 11 months, 
um, we've been responsible for a territorial worship service that's happened uh, each and every week. So that's just a little bit of, uh, of what I do. And have you got a favorite part of that role or one of those responsibilities that you really, really enjoy um, and feel really privileged to lead or to direct? Um, I, I think, you know, really, um, I love it all. You know what I mean? Because it's just, it's, it's different, uh, you know, on different days. And I think that's probably the best thing is uh, it's a variety pack of things to do, right? So I'm not really just locked into, oh, okay, I just worry about the staff band or I just worry about that. So uh, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of fun experiences. Um, I do really like leading the staff band. Um, obviously, I think that's probably the one that, that comes to mind, you know, for everyone there. But if I had to pinpoint like one thing that is probably my favorite uh, throughout the year, um, it's probably the staff band's future all-stars program that we, that we run. Um, so it's, uh, and that one is, um, you know, we have probably 60, 65 students that come uh, for the weekend and you know, spend time with the staff band. And, you know, we all rehearse together as a massive band of 90 or 100 people. Um, we have a lot of time of, of devotions and we split up into prayer partners and all sorts of things. But it's, uh, for me, uh, it's probably the, you know, the favorite of the things that, that I do. Now, as well as being the director of the Future All-Stars, uh, as you alluded to also earlier, you're the director of the Star Lake Music Camp. And of course, uh, last year's event, because of COVID, was very different. And I'm sure that many people around the world, like myself, really enjoyed the virtual events that were put on during that week. But can you talk us through uh, your involvement at the camp over the years uh, and what that week means to you? Yeah, the I guess the first thing I would say, um, you know, about last last summer is that uh, we actually filled six weeks, you know, worth of uh, virtual material. So we kind of made the decision that we would uh, operate all summer and try to have something every day. Uh, so our department worked, you know, pretty hard uh, and tried to provide something, you know, for a full uh, six week uh, period. So in terms of a, a normal year, um, you know, Starlink is probably the most important that we week that we have uh, as a department. Um, it has an incredible history, um, some spectacular camp directors in the past, and I certainly uh, feel privileged to uh, to lead the camp in this uh, great institution. Um, and uh, I'd say, you know, every year, you know, at, at camp, you know, when you look up to the front of the, the tabernacle uh, that we have all of our programs in there, there's this plaque there that says, um, I come here to find myself. It's so easy to get lost in the world. Um, and in some ways, you know, I kind of feel, um, you know, that like Star Lake is, is like a reset button, you know, in, in so many ways. So, um, you know, when you're feeling empty spiritually, this is a great, you know, place to connect, uh, reconnect with the Lord in a real and meaningful way. Um, if you're feeling low on inspiration, it's a great place to re rejuvenate you. Um, if you are, you know, feeling worn down from the daily and weekly grind of life, this is a place that can give you new energy. Um, if you are feeling alone, it's it's really a great place to to reconnect uh, with people. Um, the the camp is old, uh, the facilities aren't uh, the best, and the food is pretty bad all the time. Um, and it's usually hot, you know, there. But uh, there's something truly magical um, about Star Lake Music Camp, um, and I'd say. You know, I truly believe that God has blessed you know, Star Lake Music Camp, um, and if we continue to honor Him uh, in all that we do there, it'll be a blessed place uh, in the future. So, um, there's just you know, there's something special about Star Lake. It's hard, I guess, to put your finger on it, but it's just uh, you know, it yeah, it's it's part of the lifeblood of our territory and and music forces in the USA Eastern Territory. 
Brilliant. And apologies, I said a week there. The whole of 2020 seemed to have uh, merged into a week for me, I think. There. <laughs> of course, many, many weeks put together there and a lot of hard work going into it. So now, of course, you are the bandmaster of the New York Staff Band. And uh, have you got any favourite experiences that you've had in that role so far? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so one of the, the first things uh, you know we did in the, really the only tour we've gone on so far was a tour of Japan. So we did that a few years ago, and that was, uh, that was awesome. Every night of that tour was just something special. Um, and we did a concert um, you know, with a, a young, young people's band you know, from a school there. We played, uh, we played Fire in the Blood along with them, and we're going along. And they play all of the solos, you know, but they play entirely from memory, no music. You know, so it was really something that uh, you won't really ever forget. Each and every year on our calendar, we go at Christmas time to the uh, Manhattan Adult Rehabilitation Center uh, in New York City, and uh, so we do services there. You know, each Christmas time, and a few years back, um, you know, we were we were there on a Sunday morning, and every time we're there, um, there's a time where the you know ladies and men in the center you know share their testimony of you know what they're thankful for and the you know what they've come out of and how the lord has helped them and we went right into corpus christi following um, all the testimonies of their thankfulness and that was just such a powerful thing there's you know maybe 70 or 80 people in the room but just you know coming off of hearing you know their testimonies and then getting into the big uh, you know give thanks thing was uh, was certainly certainly special um and let's see we did a concert with the Corey band uh, a couple of years ago now, which was just uh, spectacular. Um, they're awesome. And it was really cool to play on the same stage as them. And uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call this last one a highlight, um, but um, about a year ago, just over a year ago now, um, our assistant music secretary and longtime member of the staff band, uh, Tom Scheibner passed away suddenly. Um, and uh, you know, we uh, got, we played at his funeral um, and, uh, you know, he had requested uh, that uh, we would play Resurgum at his funeral, and we had to actually do that with no rehearsal, but um, it was just is a special thing to be able to take part of uh, with the staff band and honoring, honoring Tom. See, brilliant memories there, I'm sure. And I've just got a couple more of the more serious questions before we move on to our quirky quickfire questions. And uh, these are quite big picture questions again, a bit like how we started off. How do you enable the New York staff band to be relevant and engaging in 21st century America? Well, for me, I think it's really all about building on what has been done in the past and, and making it making it new, you know, making it for uh, for today. Um, and I think the first thing that comes to mind is that people connect with different songs than they did 20 years ago. Right. So we need to meet them you know, where they are with the music that they like. Um, people engage different ways and on different platforms. Uh, so we need to be able to provide opportunities for people to engage you know, with us, whether that be, you know, on YouTube or Vimeo, whatever it might be, you know, we need to meet people, you know, where, where they are. So I have uh, 10 and 12 year old daughters and they spend a majority of their time outside of school on YouTube, right? So if you want to connect with the next generation and, uh, and remain relevant, you know, we need to meet them uh, where they are. Um, so, you know, I'd say, you know, we simply can't, you know, afford to, you know, bring out last year's program and repertoire and expect people to connect uh, in the same way as they did, you know, last year. So um, the only other thing I would, I would say is that, uh, you know, if we want to be relevant and we want people to, uh, to kind of understand what we're doing and to take part in what we're doing, we need to be authentic uh, in, in what we're doing. 
um, you know, and, and maybe I'm wrong, you know, but I feel like young people today, um, I'm, I can't believe I'm saying young people, I'm 39, right? Um, but young people, you know, today, I think can see through what is fake, you know, pretty easily, you know, so if we're going to be out, you know, proclaiming the name of Jesus and expect people to be there, uh, we need to be, you know, the real deal. So I think if, if we're authentic uh, in what we do, and our, our minds and hearts are in it in the right way, I think people will respond to that. Wise words, and certainly something for all bandsmen and women around the world and, and Christians to aim for and live our lives by. So my final sort of big picture question for you is, uh, how has being part of the New York staff band, and actually all of your music making in the Salvation Army, uh, how has that impacted your faith? Well, I'd, I'd say, you know, like probably a lot of people, um, I think music in general has certainly been the thing to keep me latched in to, to church and to the Salvation Army. Um, so you know, if I didn't have music, you know, would I be connected with the Army anymore? I have no idea, you know, because I am connected with music and, and I'm here. So I think that's the first part of it is that it has been the thing to keep me connected all along. Uh, the second thing I would say is just in terms of, you know, my musical experiences and how it's impacted me is that, um, you know, for me, um, you know, a lot of those just kind of, I don't want to say mountaintop experiences, uh, but you'll have come in, in musical settings, right. Where, um, you're kind of just, you are free, you are, you know, being, you know, you're being yourself and you can have real and genuine experiences with the Lord. So I think music has created that the opportunity for me, you know, really to, to be myself in these moments and to really have, um, some wonderful interactions you know, with the Lord. Um, and then, last thing I would say, I think the last thing I'll say is that, you know, it's really all about uh, the people that I've been surrounded with, you know, in, in all these places, there's been constant uh, mentors and role models, you know, to look up to, there's been constant uh, examples of uh, just, you know, committed uh, godly people. Um, and I'd say that's, that's probably, you know, the biggest impact that, you know, the staff band or any Salvation Army music has had on, on me and my spiritual life is that, I've been connected with some just remarkably uh, godly people who have who've, uh, helped keep me on the straight and narrow, um, you know, help keep me in the word, help keep me, um, I guess, to, to be authentic. Right. Thank you very much indeed. And now we're going to move on to some slightly lighter questions. Uh, perhaps we could call this segment the lighter side of Lance, because uh, everyone loves a bit of alliteration. Uh, but before we do that, I've had a question sent in from Andrew Blythe, and he says this. Derek, from experience, I know you like your food. If you had to choose a favorite meal, just one, what would it be? That's a good question. Um, I'd, probably, I'd probably go a lot of different directions with that. Um, I think if I had to choose one like food item to have for the rest of my life, like I'd, I'd, I guess I'd probably say pizza, right? Um, but maybe I'd, I'd probably add on to that, like pizza and then like uh, like chicken wings, you know, as well. So maybe like the combination of those two things would be added together. So thank you, Andrew, for the very deep question about my favorite food. <laughs> so would you have the chicken wings as a topping on the pizza? No, no, that's <laughs> no. Don't be don't be ridiculous. <laughs> so we've also had a question sent in on Twitter and it's from Gary Rose. And he says. Has Derek and Andrew Wainwright ever been seen in the same room at the same time? Yes, yes, we have. We have been in the room at the same time. But I can say 
every once in a while I've like kind of scrolled past something on social media and seen uh, Andrew and had to do a double take thinking that maybe I was someplace else than I was currently. So, so you're not the same person. We can quash that, that conspiracy. Absolutely correct. I am taller. <laughs> I am taller than Andrew. <laughs> I'm glad we've cleared up all the important questions there. <laughs> Righty then. So from one important question on to some more important questions. For now, we venture forth into the realm of the quirky quickfire questions. Some of these are serious. Some of them are just downright weird. But uh, that's how we like it here at Fully Scored. Have you got a favourite Salvation Army composer? Leslie Condon. And if you had to choose a specific piece from the Salvation Army repertoire, what would your favourite be? Eternal Presence. Mm, wonderful piece. Um, if you're cooking, what would your signature dish be? Um, let's see. I'm not a very good cook. Uh, chili. Okay. Um, have you got a favourite verse from Scripture? Psalm 139. And now... For some of the slightly more bizarre questions. What noise do you find more relaxing? The gentle rumble of the New York subway or the sound of a distant thunderstorm? Thunderstorm. Uh, have you got a favourite skyscraper? Uh, Empire State Building. Baseball or football? Your football or my football? Anything. I don't know anything about sports, so you can say what you like. <laughs> uh, NFL football. Okay, and have you got a favourite team? Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay, excellent. Uh, which of the Home Alone films is your favourite? Two. And following on from that, have you got a favourite John Williams film score? Um, Harry Potter. Tricky question here. Have you got a favourite member of the New York staff band? Um, my wife, uh, Lorena. Um, so funny story about this. Um, but a couple of years ago, we were doing a concert at future all-stars and we went around and had, uh, everyone introduce themselves in the band and where they were from. But, uh, our first baritone player at the time, Devante Thompson, he, um, you know, he's a young guy. Uh, so he had just come out of the future all-stars program. So he introduced himself and the whole place, you know, cheered as loud as possible. And I said in front of the whole band, Oh, don't worry. Devante is my favorite too. Right. And then a couple of people in the cornet section just said, hey, Derek, you're forgetting your wife. Right. And so I've had that uh, happen in front of everyone. So definitely my wife, though, Lorena. <laughs> right. Well, we've done favorite. Have you got a least favorite? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I won't make you answer that. Really. <laughs> and a uh, final question for you. Hot dog or cold dog? Hot. Correct. I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, but there we go. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you ever so much. That brings us to the end of the interview section, and I can confirm you have passed. Well, this brings us on to our next segment of the podcast, our analysis section. And it's fantastic to welcome an old guest back to the podcast. I don't mean our guest is old. I just mean he's been on the podcast before. It's fantastic to welcome Andrew Blythe back. Hi, Matthew. I'm glad that uh, you qualified that uh, statement. Yeah. I'm not as old as some of your reviewers, notably Bandmaster Evans, um, but uh, it's it's good to be back and um, and uh, really pleased that we're going to be looking at Wonder Beholding. Uh, now, you've chosen this piece to look at, so my first question would be, uh, why have you chosen this piece? Well, that's a good question. Um, we used to play a lot of these selections, these kind of um, musical sermons 
in the evening meetings. So there was in quiet pastures by Ray and Allen, the light of the world. Wonder Beholding was, was one of those that we used to play on a Sunday evening. It's so beautifully constructed. As a young bandsman, I used to purely think about the music and enjoy playing it as a, as a cornet player. Um, it was only after a while that I understood the message. And you said there about not always understanding uh, originally when you played these, the message behind the music. And I guess that's the whole ethos of this podcast is to understand the theology and the ethos behind the music. Um, so let's do that. Just so talking about the piece uh, in Wonder Beholding, first of all, could you tell us a little bit about the context of when the piece was written and perhaps why it was written? I don't believe, certainly in the Salvation Army, um, that many of these pieces were written just as a piece of music. And I think when we look at it, it was written in 1965, 64, but published in 66. Um, from a Captain Leslie Condon, who was becoming very established um, in the staff band. I think he may have been national bandmaster at that point or at music editorial. And here is a man, if you, you read in the analysis of, of, of what he actually, it's his words, who, who, who talks about becoming jaded, becoming tired. Um, I've often, often thought that there is, there is a sense of humanness and fragility in Les's music. I'd like to just share those words from the, uh, the analysis written by the composer himself. Familiarity with the tenets and propagation of the faith can bring its own disadvantages. Even some of the pillars of the church have confessed to being so busy in the affairs of building God's kingdom that the sense of wonder of the very truths they faithfully declare is in danger of becoming jaded. This music seeks to join the psalmist in quiet reflection as he says... When I consider the wonder of God's love to man being the subject of contemplation. Perhaps he is talking about himself there, becoming jaded. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. We all, we all face that. Um, I think this piece is very much a, an outpouring of his doubt. Um, but then ultimately his love for, for Christ. So let's, let's dip into the score and look through the music. Uh, for those listening at home, you may find it useful as ever to follow along with score, which is available on the Salvation Army Music Index. So first of all, we start off with the introduction marked Andante Con Express. Les uses the tune of Cardiff with this, but what he does is he puts it in the minor. And so the minor makes it all very, where we sing it very positively, usually as Salvationists, this, this asks the question, because the chromaticism in the euphonium, if you look at it there, gives us a sense of, crikey, this is, this, is, this is not settled. This is not settled. So if you hear these first um, four bars, you get a sense of, what is this about? And can it be? The open, opening statement from the horns. And then the see the cornet in the, in the second bar. What Les does beautifully there is, Take the tune. So, but then he develops the tune and inverts the tune around. So it leaves you with a sense of confusion.
you know, and, and, and you're thinking, I, I can't get my head around this. So within the first four bars, five bars, Les is, 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 is not giving us any assurance at all. You know, we're wondering, <laughs> we're wondering how Christ could die for us. It, it's, it's one of these pieces that plunges us into that question, first of all. It, it, it doesn't give us any real assurance to begin with. That, you know, then we get this kind of imperfect cadence, this la dum 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 hmm, hmm. You know, questions all the time. The trombones at bar six bring us into the, the first uh, subject, which is can you wonder? Can you wonder? So this is this whole section up to A is beautifully set up in the minor. Um, the tonality is, is, is insecure, but just really doubting. So th the introduction for me is beautiful because it, it, it does, it, it gets where Les is at the beginning. I, I, I can't understand why God, God would want to love me. What, why am I part of God's plan? So with eight bars, that's what we get. And I guess like any good piece of prose, it starts off with that question, drawing you in, wanting you more. So that takes us into section A, where we hear for the first time in the solo euphonium, the tune, Can You Wonder? This song, Can You Wonder Why I Love Him So, was written by Bandmaster Weber of Boscombe. Now, he, I, I would believe, would have just sung this as his testimony and made the tune up. Richard Slater arranged it as he had to do for a lot of times because the general or the, the chief or whoever was commissioners at those times would go around these calls, listen to these people sing, and Slater used to have to go and visit them if they were good songs and write it all down. I mean, you know, Slater was a real go-to guy for all this stuff. And Slater has arranged this song okay, in the musical Salvationist back then in the 1890s. And Les would have heard this. People would have sung this in the afternoon. You know, probably Les Condon would have sung it during an afternoon uh, festival. The chorus, which is the main fragment that, that Les picks up. Can you wonder? Can you wonder? Can you wonder why it is I love him so? When I think of what he's done for me, the guilty one, can you wonder why it is I love him so? So, you know, from this doubt, you, you, you're going in at section A with this, this song um, about why does, why does this God love me? You know, I just don't get it. In the chorus at B, he uses these, um, these, these figures that go up in thirds and then fall down um, uh, beautifully in the horns and the, and the euphoniums um, and a chromaticism as well. So he develops harmonically the chorus a little bit, enjoys himself there. And that takes us into letter C. A couple of bars before C, we, we have a key change. The cornet's playing B flat major. We then go into E flat major. Uh, and that introduces our second tune, 
he loved me. I cannot tell why. Once again, <laughs> would you be able to tell us a little bit about this tune and uh, how it's treated through Letter C? Yeah. Um, just, just to say four bars before um, C, can you wonder why it is I love him so? And then he draws the, the melodic line out in the solo cornet. Okay, so he draws that, that statement out. Can you wonder why it is I love him so? And um, develops the phrase in the cornet so beautifully as though to say, oh, wow, I can't, can't get my head around it to, to lead us into this. He loved me, I cannot tell why, which is found in section C. Again, Les, first of all, um, pretty solid harmony in terms that he doesn't muck around with the old song, which was written by a gentleman called Blind Mark. Okay, words and music by Blind Mark. They said it as they saw it back then. And Blind Mark was a um, evangelist who toured around with William Booth. Yes, Matthew, are you so going I'm, to? Just yeah. trying to work out, Blind Mark, was he visually impaired or did he uh, come around people's houses stalling in Venetians or other types <laughs> of blinds? <laughs> Which type of blind are we talking about? Uh, the former. The, um, visually impaired, yes. Okay. Just, just <laughs> although, to make sure. <laughs> although that would have been a fantastic story, wouldn't it? <laughs> So, so Les uses the chorus, and as you would imagine with, with this, um, the evangelistic nature, the simplicity back then in those days of, of preaching to many uneducated people at the time. So the, the chorus is not theologically um, strong in terms of having to think about it. It just says, he loved me, I cannot tell why. He loved me, I cannot tell why. On Calvary's tree, he suffered for me. He loved me. I cannot tell why. And that's simply what the chorus is there. It, it's, it's, you know, it's again saying, I don't get it. Um, I really don't get it. But Les, Les kind of treats this as it is. It is a very simple statement. It's only at four bars before section D that he gives this very kind of jolting harmony. Um, if you hear it at section, uh, four bars before section D, where this kind of, I cannot tell why. You get a bit annoyed with yourself, you know, and here Les is kind of going, why? Why? I, I don't get it, you know, in my, my small brain, why does the God of the universe love me? Um, and so there's this little tension from Les here. It's, it's kind of, please let us know the answers to all the questions to life um, before he goes into a, a kind of release again into the new key um, concert F uh, at uh, section D, uh, letting the trombones who are boisterous in their uh, very nature anyway. So he gives the trombones, those boisterous trombones and the euphonium the tune um, which is uh, this lovely kind of release and, and actually um, a reflection of the, the composer Blind Mark Saunders, who, um, who was, a, who was a, by nature a joyous evangelist, they, so they say, in the history books. You don't remember it then? No. 
So that takes us through into section E, where we have our third tune in this selection. I think of all his sorrow. Okay, well, before we go into the song, we've got to just look at two bars before E, where Les cleverly inverts and uses the tune Cardiff again with the phrase that thou, my God, should die for me. And here in the solo cornet, you'll see and soprano. That's a derivative of the tune Cardiff and um, that thou, my God, should die for me. So Les leads that phrase and that derivative of the phrase subtly into um, a song which talks about Christ's suffering, Christ's death on the cross. And this, this was a song written by Richard Slater um, uh, in 1892. Slater was a man who had huge doubts in his faith. And his life and um uh you know went away from from faith as a young man and studied uh, various other forms of of different uh, ideas and uh, came back to through the salvation army obviously and became the father of salvation army music and without slater you and i probably wouldn't be talking matthew um so this 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 song um, which again, Les uses uh, the main chorus for really, um, is quite important in terms of um, recognising that people like Slater had doubts as well. So to people like Les Condon, that was a big thing, just as it is a big thing to know that Les Condon also had doubts. It's a big assurance for us all to recognise these pillars, as Les says right at the beginning of the church, um, can often become jaded. I think that's that was his words. Um, and so you go back to the the crux of the Christian story, in a sense, the crucifixion and resurrection. Um, and here, Les in the lower brass with the mellows, the horns, um, leading the uh, the melody here, and the baritones and euphonium with basses, um, bringing us a very somber um, reflection on this this song by Richard Slater, which uh, the words say, I think of all his sorrow, the garden and the morrow, when cruel death, death did follow, twas for me, it was for me. And there we get this, it was for me, um, this declamation in the first trombones and the horns, uh, two bars before F, but this little chorus of Slater's there, um, you know, speaking about it was for me that he died, the crux of the Christian gospel, um, which is very somberly uh, set here by Les in the lower brass, um, suddenly rises two bars uh, into F uh, with the full band um, bringing us into this. It was for me. Christ died for me. And if we get that as Christians, if we understand the crucifixion, believe in it, believe that a man died and he was the son of God, if we get that in our own hearts and minds, we can then start to recognize that the God of the universe loves and cares for us instead of doubting that. Okay, so that's where Les is leading us into this next section. And so this next section of F that you're talking about, uh, we have a few more hints towards that tune, Cardiff, and can it be, which leads us into the first full iteration of it at letter G. 
But how does uh, Leslie Condon introduce this tune throughout it? Well, he, he does it so beautifully because he, he he builds this up. So, you know, again, we go into this minor feel and this chromaticism in the euphonium. It 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 it's um it's this kind of awakening of, as I say, recognizing the sacrifice and then building up to it. So at F there, we've got this um very quiet reflection. You know, all of us have to have that understanding and that understanding can come to us very quickly but we need to have those quiet times of recognizing that um we all need that and les gives us that you'll notice eight bars before g this beautiful moment he uses poco writ here i get the feeling here you get a sense just in these two bars where god says i'm here for you do you get it now and and the and the key just settles and, and it's just God saying do you know I've got it you're okay I'm here and at that point, that's where the music flips, because then you, you're excited by that. You kind of understand, you get a glimpse of what is happening. And this is where Les then starts to ramp it up. We build this, um, that I should gain motif. La da 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 da, that I should gain, that I should gain, that I should gain. He used that la da 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 dee da da, dee da 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 dee da da da, that I should gain, wow, that I'm gonna gain this unbelievable then we get to g so we've got this kind of reflection understanding that christ has died for us this reaffirming of christ's love for us in two but eight bars before g just for two bars and then understanding hearing and moving on into the word that says amazing love at section g set up the key is, is is wonderfully solid there um it, it just it opened and i think for me this is one of the most moving moments of salvation army literature musical literature um because anyone that goes through that journey as we all do if i was playing that in the band or conducting that in the band I, I, I don't fail, I know I'm getting soppy and all that kind of thing, but I don't fail to have a tear in my eye. The, the, the problem you've got as a conductor is keeping the reins on that. If, you, if everyone really believes that, it's keeping, keeping a musical because you could really just go for that and think, oh man, um, you know, Les Condon for me, I know we've done Easter Glory before, but the more I, I, I look at Les's music, 
the more I marvel in it. And and you just have this glorious open full band playing that through in section G, um, which is just beautiful. Two bars um, before the key change, which is four bars before H. Do you notice what he does again? He elongates the phrase, should, should die for me, should die for me. So he uses the same device again as he did previously, can you wonder? Um, but enjoys it at this point in just the, in, in the horns um, and baritones. And it, for me, it's just beautiful, beautiful. Goosebumps talking about it now. <laughs> Absolutely. A wonderful, glorious climax and without any yeah. gimmicks as well, just the pure music and the, and the exactly. words associated to it achieving that effect. Yeah. So that takes us into letter H, where we see our fifth and final tune of the selection. And that tune is a wonderful, wonderful Jesus. Uh, could you talk us through this tune here again and just how the piece is, is drawn to a close after all that excitement and emotion, the way it just peacefully fades away. Again, this is a purely, a, really a Salvation Army song. We would have sung this a lot. Again, he only uses the chorus, but it's by a guy called Ernest Sellers. And um, it was, uh, it's, the words are wonderful, wonderful Jesus. In the heart, he implanted a song, a song of deliverance, of courage, of strength. In the heart, he implanted a song. And what Les is saying here is thank you. Um, you've given me my life, you've given me the gift, um, you've given me the courage to believe in that gift. So thank you for that. And, and what you get is it just winds down. It's a prayer. You know, he uses with devotion, con devotione. And um, this, this really, with the beautiful harmony that Les gives here, he, he kind of plays around. You can he, you could probably see him at the piano here. And he enjoys himself here, but but not in an overindulgent way. If you get the colours right as a bandmaster for this, it, it really is just beautifully and subtle. And it, section I, all he does is just finish it up. He um, just gives a little fragment and develops the, the final bit there and just brings it down. Um, just beautiful. Mina Mosso, a little bit slower. But thank you. A kind of, it's, it's kind of like um, a thank you at the end there. Thank you for, for believing in me as a human being and, and using me um, as a tool for your ministry, God. And um, that's what makes him wonderful and hold him for me. Just absolutely beautiful. Absolutely. And thank you ever so much for helping us to unlock that in the music. I'm sure there are probably those that might just think it's five tunes slung together. But actually, <laughs> with your words, uh, really enlightening us into that testimony and that those words of encouragement, really, for yeah. your music. So thank you ever so much, Andrew, for your time. Thank you, Matthew. Well, it's now time for you to join in with... And mastermind at home. Before I read you this week's conundrum, I'd just like to say well done to all of those that answered last episode's riddle, and congratulations to Peter Bale, who was the first to answer correctly 
The programme notes that I read were indeed describing None Other Name by Eric Lyston. And well done for gaining the extra bonus brownie points for saying the exact sleeve notes that they came from. It was indeed the ISB Heritage Series Volume Number 4, notes written by Ray Steadman Allen. Special mention must also go to our runner-up, who was second to guess the correct answer, and that is Nicholas Brill, who tweeted us at 4.35am. Personally, I'd recommend sleeping at that time, but whatever floats your boat, I guess. Or maybe he was just in the Welsh time zone. Anyway, it's now time for this episode's conundrum. Just a quick reminder of how this works. If you think you know which piece I'm talking about from the snippets of the programme notes I'm reading, tweet us, comment on the music editorial Facebook post, or even send us a message on Instagram. Just get in touch, let us know, and the first person to guess correctly will get a mention in the next episode. Ooh, and if you do want to be this episode's recipient of the extra brownie bonus points, cool, that's a tongue twister, uh, then let us know the exact CD programme notes that this is taken from. Here's this week's Bandmastermind at Home conundrum. This music was written for the Diamond Jubilee celebrations of the International Staff Band in October 1951. The scheme is in sonata form as follows. Exposition, comprising two contrasting themes concluding with the tune St Philip, which serves as a tribute to the saints who from their labours rest, the pioneers of the early days. Development, which consists of a scherzo based on the tune Come Ye Thankful People Come. Recapitulation, a reprise of the opening themes, concluding with Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. Finally, there comes an impressive restatement of earlier thematic material, culminating in the great crescendo Give to Jesus glory. Let us all extol his name with thanksgiving. If you think you know what piece I'm talking about, let us know. So, this brings us on to our usual segment that we like to call Bandmaster Mind. Now, Derek, you'll have one minute and 30 seconds to answer as many band trivia questions as you can. Are you ready to play Bandmaster Mind? sure (laughs) ready as you'll ever be well in that case your time starts now which hollywood film composer wrote the song with banners and bonnets published in the musical salvationist in 1964 i should know this no worries we'll take a pass there then which usa band had a photo with albert einstein before the rose bowl parade in 1932 hollywood tab Close, but not quite correct, I'm afraid. Which Salvation Army professor and composer was a renowned authority on the Spanish Renaissance composer, Thomas Louis de Victoria? What is this question? (laughs) We'll take a pass there as well. Which Swedish composer is considered to have written the Salvation Army's first original brass band march for the movement? Weizen. Not quite, I'm afraid. What selection first introduced Glockenspiel into the General Series in 1975? I have no idea. Who's the author of Brass Bands of the Salvation Army? Ron Holtz. 
Correct. What Call It Solo uh, by Norman Beargroft features the tune I Hate the Devil and the Devil Hates Me. Song of Exaltation? Correct. Which band recorded the album Kaleidoscope? Enfield. Correct. Who is the current musical and gospel arts director for the Swiss, Austria and Hungary territory? Pass. Okay, and I believe our time is up, but we've got time for one more question. Uh, which Salvation Army band's core address is 275 Oxford Street? Regent Hall. Correct. Just got that one in time there. Fantastic. So that gives you a grand total of four points. So we'll just go through the answers for the questions Did, didn't quite get there. So the Hollywood film composer that wrote the song with banners and bonnets was Meredith Wilson. The USA band that had a photo with Albert Einstein before the Rose Bowl parade in 1932 was the Los Angeles Citadel Band. Which Salvation Army professor and composer was a renowned authority on the Spanish Renaissance composer, Thomas Louis de Victoria? It was Thomas Rive. And the Swedish composer, considered to have written the first Salvation Army uh, original brass band march for the movement, was Klaus Osseby, and it was a Kavelbleg march. I have no idea how to pronounce that, but it was published in 1904. Um, the selection that first introduced Glockenspiel to the general series in 1975 was James Kernow's Guardian of Our Way. I knew that one. And the current musical and gospel arts director for the Swiss, Austrian and Hungarian territory is Mikhail Dikanster. Well, unfortunately, that brings this episode to a conclusion. Thank you ever so much once again to Derek and Andrew for giving up your time freely to talk to us. It's a real pleasure and I know that those listening at home would have enjoyed it also. Don't forget, if you think you know the answer to Band Mastermind at home, do let us know. And uh, make sure, if you're not already, make sure to follow the Music Editorial Facebook page. You can follow us at Fully Scored on Twitter and we've even got an Instagram presence. If you just search for Fully Scored, you'll find us. If you listen on iTunes or Spotify or any other podcast provider, then why not subscribe and then you'll be automatically notified when new episodes are released. If you want to as well, you can leave a review for the podcast. We're always interested to hear new ideas or feedback, so why not start that conversation? So as usual, just before I leave you, I'd like to give out a few thanks. As I've said already, thanks to Andrew and to Derek for your time. Also, thank you to Simon Gash, our producer of the podcast, who works really hard editing and knitting everything together like a wonderful patchwork quilt of audioness, if that's a word. And finally, thank you to you for taking time out of your day to listen along at home. Stay safe, and until next time, goodbye and God bless. Music